Welcome to Upper 90, a podcast presented by Sand and Surf Soccer Club. Scotland's Wayne Rooney wins the ball back. Homer from the half court. Goal! DC United Red Sox make the MLS World Series playoffs. Ooh, right cleat banger. All right, guys, welcome to week eight of the Upper 90 podcast presented by Sam and Surf Soccer Club. A much healthier Dan McCarthy on the hosting this week, joined by Carl Dixon, as always, and Sam Fairhurst. This week, we're going to do a bit of a hybrid edition to the podcast. Um, in the next couple of weeks coming up, we have some guests coming into the office to join us on a Monday morning. So look forward to that to be confirmed. We've got a few on the list, so we'll see which ones we pick out of the hat. Um, so this week we're going to take the opportunity to bring up two or three different topics on the podcast, discuss different things and have a little bit of fun with it and get some debates going. So we'll kick off with my topic, going to talk about the differences in the game, coaching perspective, approach with the game of 7v7, 9v9 and 11v11. So Sam's done a little bit of research on this in preparation, so we're going to get him on there, see what his opinion is of what his immediate thoughts are on the differences between the game of 7v7, the 9v9 and the 11v11. Go ahead, Sam, kick it off. The listeners are waiting. Uh, before we get into it, I was wondering who, who have you got confirmed as the guest? Yeah, <laughs> this I, I for, want to know who This the is the first are. I've heard about it. Yeah. To be confirmed. Ah, oh, keeping his cards close to his chest. <laughs> got to keep the listeners excited, you know? Can't give it away too early. Halloween special. Are they coming in costume? Yeah, they're dressing up, yeah. That's what we're trying to figure out now, the final details on that. What, what they're going to come in. <laughs> All right, sorry, I was trying to figure out the uh, who the guest might be. I, I forgot the, the question. Sorry, guys. Differences between the 7v7, 9v9 and 11v11 game. As a coach, you've coached, you coached what, 7v7 and 9v9 this year? And, uh, this year, yeah. And then you coached yeah. 11v11 last year, so... The journeyman. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, the guy with how many jobs in the club now? What are we up to? Well, well, speaking on that, I actually lined a field this weekend. Oh. For the first time, I did it with my bare hands. What? <laughs> 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 I got to the field and the machine was broke. So I basically had to walk around with the, the, the spray to line the field. <laughs> and I literally did it by hand and did the, the whole field by hand. Is this our perspective, brown field? Yeah, this is the famous Dorsey Field. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll get on. That's a whole other topic. So, do you, do you want to yeah. pitch a game? We're looking for funding. Yeah, still looking for that funding to, you know, lay some turf down there. If anyone wants to uh, give us a blank check, we can do all the work and then, you know, just fill, fill in the check with uh, whatever it costs. Anyone being Jeff Brown, Kate Brown. We're, uh, we're a non profit, so it could be used as a, a tax write off. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Sam, what differences do you see from coaching? the different levels of the game, you know, as a coach, from a coaching perspective, what kind of differences do you see? What approaches, different approaches do you take when coaching these different styles of the game? Uh, it's a funny one because there's some similarities and there's also some some differences. Obviously, the big difference is uh, as you move up from 7v7 to 9v9 to 11v11, the fields get bigger, there's more players on the field, there's more players in the squad. Thanks for that. Yeah, 
Uh, that being said, though, the <laughs> the basic still saying. What about the goals? <laughs> oh, it's actually, yeah, the goals get bigger. The ball gets bigger. Oh, yeah. Does it get harder? Does the ball get harder? That's a good question. Do the referees get better? No. <laughs> Does the ball get harder? I've never thought about that. No. But you know, if it's a bigger ball, is there more pressure inside or what? Ooh. Hey, listeners out there. Com- com- competition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even though there's, uh, they have all those differences, we still have you know the, the same kind of ideas in terms of positions. So you still have obviously the goalkeeper. You still have defenders, midfielders, forwards. Um, you have I think a goalkeeper still sometimes. <laughs> as you uh, as you get into the eleven v eleven game, I think um, the formation that you play and. I think there's more formations. I think it becomes more of a tactical game. Yeah, great. Um, although there are still a lot of tactical things that can be done in the smaller games, like the 9v9 and the 7v7, it's not as tactical because there aren't that many formations. There's not really that much you can do to change things up. Obviously, you can play different styles of play. You know, you can pass out from the back. You can play long. You can play through the middle. You can play down the sides. There's... There's different ways to play, but when you get to 11v11, the, the tactics kind of open up and there's there's a lot more. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of all I've got for you. <laughs> Carl really looks like he's got something to say. Go for it, Carl. This was really Dan's topic, was it not? Yeah, I'm going to He must have something big for yeah, it. I'm going like, to conclude. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to throw something out there. What, what's the question again? No, yeah. <laughs> Are we talking about differences or are we just talking about in general 7v7, 9v9, 11v11? Is it just kind of a... Whatever you want, Carl. Whatever you want, buddy. Take a sip of the coffee. So... <laughs> get into it. Feels get bigger. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, from a coaching standpoint, it would be looking at progressions through every time, you know, it goes from 7v7 to 9v9, 9v9 to 11v11 and looking at what you're doing with 7v7, is it relatable to when you get older, right? So I think there's many teams and coaches, you know, are coaching says 7v7 to win the game and not really teach the kids that when the pitch gets bigger, when there's more players on the pitch, etc. So, you know, we always go back to the build out, but how realistic is this scenario to the 11v11 game? The goalkeeper rolls it to the defender's feet who lays it off for the goalkeeper to smash it forward. So that, to me, is a tactic to how to get up the pitch in a little in 77 to win the game and not a tactic to you're teaching the keeper and the defender and everyone else on the team how the game flows as it gets older. So, Very short-term approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's... Uh, Probably the biggest one, you know, is just all short term. You know, uh, wh- what else? Like maybe playing formations, mm. you know. M- most of our 77 teams will play two at the back or three at the back, which then in 99 will go into mostly three at the back or sometimes four at the back. And then when you go 11 v 11, it's mostly three at the back or four at the back. However, I've seen small sided teams playing one at the back. You know, and playing more of a, an attacking game, which 
again for me it doesn't really teach the flow of as it progresses and gets bigger you know working in partnerships in the back working on shape you know that type of stuff so yeah it, it just I think when you talk about all three you're hoping that coaches out there are thinking about how to make the players better when when the pitch gets slightly bigger and there's more players you know and, and how to relate what is happening in their game to the 99 game and then the 11 v 11 game yeah you know so that's why we've done it right uh probably for everyone listening though uh i'm just trying to think there but i think from i was like seven or eight i played on a full pitch i think it was small like when i was really young the, but f- the first time i played on a full-size pitch was u11 i think i was younger i want to say i was like 10 well, yeah i think it was under <clears throat> 10 I'm thinking back, and that was the first kind of proper team. No, that just happened to be the first 11 v 11 team I played for. Yeah, but I... Because when I played for the school, we played on, like, a smaller, smaller pitch. But can you remember, like, when I played for my, like, local club when I was little, I remember there was, like, a small pitch with, like, like, say they're, like, 77 goals, but... I don't remember playing. I remember, I remember like, uh, like under 10. 99, yeah. yeah. I don't think it was very really that I big. Remember, yeah, thinking back, actually, I don't remember. I don't remember playing 99. Oh, no, no. I never played anything it, like... It did go from, like, 7v7, I think, so. stepped straight up to 11v7. Yeah, I agree. I think, so. I think you're right. Yeah. So, just quickly on that, what do you think about that, in the sense... Do you think 9v9 is a good stepping stone? Do you think it is... Like a good way to look at it so uh, as we didn't have it they have it over here I so. personally like in an, in an ideal world I like the 7v7 to the 9v9 it introduces you know a couple of extra players so your positions and your roles change a little bit and you get a little bit closer to you know the real 11v11 game because mm. let's remember 7v7 9v9 that they're not actually the real game they have different rules Carl mentioned build outline the actual offside rule is different from 7v7 to 9v9 and then it obviously is the same at 11v11 to seven v, uh, to 9v9. You know, you're not allowed to head at certain ages and all that sort of stuff. So the 11v11 is the real game. Yeah. Um, and I've actually lost my train of thought on that one. Well, <laughs> clearly, you're... An extra quick answer. It's again. Well, his Tinder's going off. So it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, if you want to accept that date for tonight, go ahead oh, yeah. quickly. Listen, Br- Brit- Brittany's hitting me up here, ruining, <laughs> ruining his podcast. If, if you're going to hear some erratic swiping in the background, you know. <laughs> Heavy breathing. Fist <laughs> <laughs> pumping. Uh, all right, how about you just help me out and let me know where I was going with this one? I have no idea. Yeah, where you go on most things to be honest. <laughs> oh, I've got it. I've got it. Don't you worry. We can edit that. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, we've said eight weeks of editing. We, we've Don't never edited one thing. Anyone good at editing podcasts? Uh, <laughs> we, we're going to blank check. We're going <laughs> to need your help in about an hour. <laughs> what I was saying is, I I would like. And it's not going to be possible just because of, you know, resources and people don't have fields and it's just a little bit too much. But I think the year that, that kids go into 11v11 from 9v9 and they make that jump, I would like to see them play on a modified field. So a little bit smaller than the full-size field because, you know, what what's the max of a full-size field? 120 by 70. So you've got yeah. kids who are, what, 12 years old, 11 years old, trying to play on the same size field as what adults do. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a little bit much in that first year. Maybe even the second year. 
So I'd in an ideal world, I'd like to see a field that's a little bit smaller, a little bit more suitable, um, just to help them make that kind of kind of step up. Yeah, no, it's that's a good point. Make it relative to like our club and community. Like Marine Field for me is a great field for initial eleven v eleven, like probably first two or two three years, but Toyota Field. Mira Costa's new field is just it, it should really be 15 and up like yeah. it's it's a big pitch I like. actually played on have you played have you guys played at Cerritos College Stadium yet oh yeah it's yeah, even yeah. bigger yeah it's madness I played on that yesterday it's insane yeah. and it's grass as well which is even harder but that's it's that's the tough thing of like you know the facilities and stuff but yeah that's I, I like that point it, it's it's interesting like Thinking back, you know, and us playing like eleven v eleven so early, but we, you know, that was the game that we watched, and you know, you couldn't wait to play like that. But yeah. uh, the small sided and the progression is great, and you know, it just makes it all relative as well. Like the coaching, you know, you're on a seven v seven team, you don't need half of an eleven v eleven pitch to do a training session. Do you know what I mean? You can really run most of your training on a futsal court, literally, you know. So, I I love this the seven v seven. You know, don't they have it in other states? Like, they have four v four, right? Is like, I've seen people do it in a more kind of introductory rec rec type program. But is the U.S. Of... soccer thing not four v four? Yeah, like, they do. Yeah, they it's have four v four, seven v seven. We yeah, but we don't do it there. Yeah. yeah, so <clears throat> the the levels are good, but again, it just goes back to the coaching. Our coaches that are working with 7v7 teams, introducing the game to them so they can build on that, or are they just playing a game to win it? I and think that's, that's a good point that, like, when you are coaching that 7v7 or 9v9 team and you're doing your sessions and you're, you're setting things up, you should, in the back of your mind, whatever you're working on, you should always think, be thinking, how does it relate to the actual real game? And are the things that, you know, you maybe need to mention that, look, for example... One of my kids on my 2010s asked me a good question. We were doing a little scrimmage and they asked, can we score from a goal kick? Which is a great question because they're still trying to learn the game. So the answer is different in the 7v7 that we're currently playing. It's different when they start playing 9v9 and then it's it's actually the same as 9v9 in 11v11, but there is a change. So I basically brought them all in and just said, you know, this kid's had a really good question. Listen carefully. Here's the answers. At the weekend, we're not allowed to score from a goal kick because we have to use a build-out line. Yeah. So you guys know, on the weekend, we've got to play short. But in real soccer, so if you're watching on TV or you know when you get older, the rule is you can actually score from a goal kick. And I think that was important. That If I just went ahead and told them kids, like, no, you can't score from a goal kick because we obviously have to use the build-out line, I'm doing them kids a bit of a disservice because they're going to then, in a few years, when they are allowed to score from a goal kick they're going to be a little bit confused, you know. So I think you should always have the, the real game and the real rules in the back of your mind and try and educate your kids as much as you can so that they do, you know, have a good understanding of not just the, the game they play on the weekend that might be 7v7, but the, the actual proper real game in general. Fantastic. I wonder if wonder if Dan's got anything for us or if he's just going to say he agrees with me and Carl because he didn't actually have anything. Yeah, and he just was writing a novel over there on something. 
Always working, always grafting. No, I think you both make good points. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but... Hey, oh, here we go. Oh, here oh, we go. Hey, oh. But, going to head into something else. Nah, um, <laughs> you know, just for my personal opinion, I think, you know, Carl said it, but I agree with the fact that I think it's ridiculous that so many... The kids, you know, as a 2006 coach, first year in 11 v 11, they're, they're playing on these... F- feels like Miracosta and Cerritos I think it if anything it hinders their development because they're making decisions they have, they're being forced to make decisions that they probably wouldn't make on a realistic size field yeah. you know my boys naturally um, are trying to hit the long ball hit the through ball because they're trying to you know trying to reach the other end of the field which sometimes seems like an entirety and it seems like it's 100 miles away it kind of takes away from what you work on in practice for me you know and um, I think it provides unrealistic expectations I think it damages the boys athletically and physically and mentally in terms of the fact that they'd be a force to try things they wouldn't need they shouldn't really be needing to do for another two three four years um they're not going to have the ability and the strength to switch the ball 60 yards like you see in the pros and you see with 15 year olds it just provides unrealistic expectations but you know like you said it's hard with the facilities and the environment and the resources available it's tough um as a coach of all i coach every level 7v7, 9v9 and 11v11 this year. So I'm lucky to see all aspects of the game. I think, you know, 7v7, you've really got to focus on the basics and the fundamentals of the game. You know, these are young girls and boys who are brand new to the game and you've got to really, you know, water it down in a respect in practice. You've got to water water everything down, focus on the, the fundamentals, first touch, control, passing, ETC. I think as a coach, you've really got to hammer that home get them doing the basic things right before you overcomplicate the game because you overcomplicate it at such a young age. It's going to be tough for them in the future. I think 9v9 is arguably one of the most fun concepts in club soccer. I feel like 9v9, I don't know if you agree, Sam, as a 9v9 coach, but it feels like it's back and forth a lot. Like It's very entertaining. Like The game's pretty fast in 9v9 for me. That's what I kind of notice. It's very... Uh, I'd have a to lot dis- disagree because my teams dominate every game. In <laughs> it's usually just one-way traffic. Yeah, fair enough. But I notice, <laughs> <laughs> I notice a lot of transitions in those games more and more. Cause I think 77 is, of course, it's it's new. So they're really thinking about their decisions and they're really thinking about so the play's a little bit slower. Whereas in 9v9, I think it's consistent back and forth, which is kind of fun to see as a coach. It's sometimes hard to kind of grasp and, and pick out key points because it is quick at times. But, you know, it's fun. It's somewhere in the middle of the two in terms of, you know, you're still focusing on the basics in 9v9, but at the same time, it, you, you had a couple of players, you had, you know, the offside role, so the tactical side starts to creep in a little bit more. And then with 9, with 11 v 11, I think the game, that's when it starts to become really, the emphasis starts to go on team shape, formation, tactics, the style of play. You know, that's when the coach is really having to think about their outside factors as well. So, and Carl mentioned about winning. I don't think 7 v 7 and 9 v 9 should be focusing on winning at all. And even in the early stages of 11 v 11, you know, it's all about development in them stages and then the higher you get in the 11 v 11, as you said, Sam, the real game, that's when you can kind of start focusing on that. But I think all the levels provide different great opportunities for coaches to learn because you're learning all different concepts and things. But, you know, 7v7 for me, basics, 9v9, lots of transition and somewhere in the middle of basics and tactical and 11v11 tactical for me. That's, how, that's kind of how I would sum it up as a coach of all three of them. Fair enough. Are you happy with that? Yeah. Is that 
Put something to the table there, Carl. You happy with that? Yeah. Fantastic. Brilliant. So while me and Carl were talking for fifteen minutes, it took you fifteen minutes to Google that. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Seven page of Google. I took. I took, a, it took not, me a while. Because the internet speed in here is quite slow, so you've done quite well. Huh? Yeah. No. I had to dig deep, but I got there. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to Carl's topic for the day, the one he chose: game day coaching. Carl, do you want to kind of go into that, introduce it a little bit, see what you're, what are you trying to kind of explain to the listeners, what you're trying to kind of get out there? Well, really, the way we've been doing things is we introduce a topic and the other two talk for 20 minutes and then I'll come in with my 15 <laughs> seconds at the end. So, work away, boys. Give their coaching. <laughs> Sam's got some notes written down here on a notepad. I'm going to hit you guys. <laughs> Actually, do we want to go Dan's voice back to back? No, exactly. Yeah, you know. That'll be the point where the listeners will just exit podcast and wait till next week, won't they? I mean to kick this one off then. <laughs> I'll, I'll kick this one. Off. Hey, hey, gonna hey, huh? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna touch on something that actually actually happened Sam, to me Sam, this weekend. Keep this down in terms of uh, in terms of game day coaching. Um, I'm gonna say kind of one thing to to avoid as a coach, uh, especially. Well, I mean at every level, really. The older levels, I can kind of understand it a little bit, but at the at the younger levels, for sure, it should be avoided. Is what we like to call joysticking the kids. FIFA. And by this, I basically mean as a coach, just basically controlling the kids by giving them instructions and telling them exactly what to do throughout the game. So that could be, you know, Carl pass to Dan. Dan turn and shoot. Dan dribble cross it for Carl. And the kind of you, you get these coaches that talk the kids through the game, and obviously they're trying to help them. They're trying to help them, you know, figure out what to do in certain situations. But really, they're not helping at all because they're not letting the kids make any decisions. And they're doing it for the good of the kid because they want the kid to have success. But that kid's not learning. All that kid is going to do in future is when the ball comes to them, they're going to be waiting for that instruction from the coach. If it doesn't come, they're going to be struggling because they can't kind of make their mind up for themselves. So I think that's that's one thing that I want to touch on just because it's quite fresh. It, it happened to me this weekend against uh, a team that we played. The team's actually a pretty good team. We played them a few times and it's usually pretty close games. It was uh, another close game this weekend. Uh, but I think this coach just decided that they wanted to really go out and beat beat my team this weekend. So he, he took on the role of being a joystick coach. And it was different because the other get, other times we played them, he literally just sat back, you know, gave a few coaching points here and there, but he just let the girls play. And he does have a, a, a good team. Mm. He has a, a pretty good team where it's they're always close games. Um, whereas I, I like to take the approach of let the, let the teams play. If they make mistakes, it's fine. When you see a moment where, you know, maybe plays on the other end of the field to where that player is, maybe you just shout on and just give them a little bit of feedback and tell them how they can do a better job in future. If they do anything good and it's something that you want them to carry on doing, again, shout on, give them the positive feedback, tell them it was brilliant, tell them it was the right decision and kind of go from there and let the players make their own decisions. They are going to make bad decisions. They're going to make decisions that's going to cost your team goals. It might even cost your team you know, wins, but it's all part of the, the learning process. Um, so, yeah, I'll kick it off with talking about joysticking. Some parents maybe don't know that term. Maybe it's kind of the pennies dropping. Maybe they have a coach who, who joysticks. You got anything? Very educational, that term. Always trying to educate, you know. Always. <laughs> Go yeah. on, Carl. 
He's answering his own question before you. All right. I'll go for it. I mean, just get involved. We haven't heard him in a while. Get involved, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, I think it's more joysticking or commentating. I think that's like the biggest one, you know. Coaches commentate and like, ooh, ah, head, kick, and I've heard some coaches like get like that at time, like, like, cause they're so like they're literally commentating and they're just talking to talk, yeah. you know. Uh, but. Uh, this is going to go off topic a little bit, but I have this theory, right? I want to know your thoughts. Oh, conspiracy. So we go back to us growing up. We played like, like in your training, it was basically like five sides. Like you're just playing all the time, right? Yeah. And then, like we said, you're playing like 11 v 11 match when you're nine years old. So let's talk about ASO a little bit, right? To me, ASO is like what we grew up in. Like, you know, anybody can come down for a kickabout. Everyone plays, blah, blah, blah. Mostly everyone will get a run out. There was no like, well, there's no quarters, first of all. Like, but there's no, <laughs> there's no like actual rule. Like, you know, Sam has to play like a third of the game. But it was kind of like everyone got a run out at some point. I remember like the, the coaches we didn't even call them coaches like it was manager like you called them like kind of manager but it was like a local man you know yeah 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 yeah. big big dan you know (laughs) who run the run the team but they wouldn't really like really talk that much or say anything you know and i think ayso should be like that for me i think now look you got a big discrepancy of level because club players play in aso and then there's some kids that but I I was just I was watching an ASO game at the weekend, you know, and one of the guys coaching was just joysticking and commentating the whole game, and I just felt f- for that level, it's more just like everyone plays, like should it really be about like score and who's winning what league and playoffs and all that? I don't know, but I think it should just be like very minimal, and like they should just sit down and let the kids play, because in isn't that the model? Like everyone plays, everyone has fun. So, I don't know if that's even anything to do with game there. Slightly, but well, do you get what I'm saying, though? No. I was just, you know, the club side's very different because, you know, it's a little bit more advanced and, you know, and then there's, like, tournaments and there's formats, like, to get into certain levels. You need to win in your flight and all that. So there's part of it that does come to down to results a little bit. Most of us don't really bother about that, but... I was just thinking about that going like I think you know sometimes like the coaches probably on the ASO side I think they take it too far and they could just kind of let the kids like just play like what we grew up in like I remember playing and there was some kids that I played with were not that good like but they still survived and the players around them like helped them out so don't know any thoughts on that one it's a little bit related to game day coaching but off topic. Well, Sam, yeah, what do you think? No, no, I agree. I mean, I think the the ASO coaches should probably be there just to kind of. I mean, they do have the rule that everyone has to play. So I mean, that's probably the main job. Just make sure everyone's getting there. You know, you tell you you're clear with the kids on who's starting the game, and you're kind of running the substitutions, and you know, making sure no one's getting hurt, no one's getting upset, all that sort of stuff. There's there really isn't too much need to be doing much coaching or much commentating as you as you mentioned yeah i think it just goes back to the fact of 
knowing your level a little bit. I think a lot of people get caught up in the moment, get caught up in the scene and forget that they're at a 7v7 eight-year-old's game on a Sunday rather than at Dodger Stadium in front of 50,000 people in the World Series. Like, you know, I think a lot of people get caught up in um, factors that are not necessary in that sort of situation. You know, it's the most the most important thing for kids is to have fun. I think a lot of a lot of the time we emphasise so many other factors and things that go into the game that we forget that the kids just want to play. They want to have fun. They want to enjoy it. I think, um, you know, the, the it's not... I don't want to say selfish, but sometimes the emphasis is put on the wrong things from, from the people who are, you know, in power and the kids suffer for that. And I think, you know, as a coach, you're there to... The job of a coach is to get the best out of your players and get the best out of your team. And the way you've got to do that has to come from a positive sense, you know, not being a coach, not a drill sergeant in the respect. I think that's a lot, something that we mentioned a couple of times on the podcast. But It's a good point, though, knowing your level. Yeah. Uh, I think, for me, knowing your level, like when you're, I think, a coach is in 77 and 99 should be a little bit more vocal in terms of coaching. Like, you know... Like rather than motivational. Well, number one, yeah, yeah, motivational and commentating, but a little bit more vocal in terms of maybe they are standing up, you know, helping kids with the shape of the team, giving them advice on tips, you know, not necessarily like going shoot, shoot, you know, and then in the 11 v 11 game, you know, look, there's this argument like sit down, stand up. Some coaches like to stand, some coaches like to sit. Right, it's you see it at the highest level, um, so that is what it is. I think it's when the eleven v eleven game happens. You know, really, you don't need to be commentating if any, and you're throwing out coaching points, but they're more like critical points. You know, and then there's situations where I think it's game relative to in an eleven v eleven. You know, like. If your team's playing against a very good team, in my opinion, you need to be coaching. Oh, for sure. You know, you can't say it. And coaching isn't shouting run. No. Like, work harder, hustle, effort. Like, that's not coaching. That That's normal things that people should be doing. You know, it's telling a right back to hold or shift inside or you know, centre midfielders, where they should be, what they should be doing, screening the player. Like, that's coaching. And I think that out here, because the coaching is so varied and the education levels are so varied, I think that's where we get caught up, you know? Like, we we talked about it before, like, parents' feedback, you know, sometimes after the game, we'll get a parent come to us and go, wow, that was a great coach. And you look at them and your eyes, like, go do that thing, like, Eh? Yeah, like and you're like that coach all he did was scream and shout run like that wasn't a great coach and they see it as like <laughs> that's what I say. go go yeah, go go no. go <laughs> he was, right? he was a good NFL coach yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, but yeah. you know he's not giving out key points and like coaching his team so I think the difference you can see between that coach and the coach that you're talking about is they're saying what to do we've got to kind of say how to do it so I think, Carl, you say that, that coach is saying, run, run, run. That's telling them what to do in respect. Whereas, Carl, you would say something like, as you said, right back, drop in, sit for five minutes or don't dive in. That's kind of telling the kid what to do, but at the same time, how to do it. You know, if you tell a kid, 
you know, um, cross the ball. That that gives, I think that's very vague information and respect that. How they're going to know when to cross the ball, when's a good opportunity to do it, read the situation, when to do it. Whereas if you say, hey, Alex, next time, you know, get try get the old saying goes, right, get to the byline and cross it in, you know, get to the touchline, get it in. That maybe gives a little bit more specific information how that kid should be doing that sort of situation. I think a lot of coaches get caught up in shout, shout, tell them what to do, run, run, drill sergeant, whereas a coach should be a guide. I should be telling them how to be doing it, not what to be doing. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, like it's even like kickoff and a coach shouts, let's go! Like, what, what is, like why does you need to shout that? Like, do you know why he shouts that? That's what a fan shouts. When, you're, when I go to Old Trafford, that's what I shout. I'm a fan. I'm not a coach. And that's the difference. I think too many coaches are they're not doing an actual coach role and they're more of a a fan you know like when that ball goes in the top corner they're celebrating and you know it's like when you're in a stadium in the premier league and everyone's shouting oh that's when you hear coaches are like that it's not coaching you know like you're just a, a privileged fan like. yeah, yeah 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 my older team played a pats team this weekend and uh you know, young Scott, who used to play in the club, is now, like, assisting me, and he's come a part of the club. And he, he, he said two comments about the coach. He was like, Carl, is that their actual coach? I was like, yeah, Scott, it is. He's like, are you sure it's not just someone's parent filling in? I was like, no, Scott, that's their coach. And he's like, that guy is literally the worst coach I've ever seen. All he's doing is just, like, commentating and being a fan of the game and it's like I would say well, that's there's a lot of that you know so those coaches out there that are you know staying calm throwing out points you know trying to improve their kids good on them those parents that are supportive of that good on them the parents that are supportive of coaches being rage and maniacs and trying to win 7v7 state cups you know you're the ones that are hurting the development of the game. In the long run. Yeah. Yeah. No, not even in the long run. They're just hurting the development oh. of the game in general. In gen- of course, know? immediately. But I mean, you know, in the long run, they're going to suffer. You'll see the suffocation of that more, you know, when yeah. you're trying to go to the next level. Yeah. So, but game, game day coaching is interesting. Maybe let's get, let's throw out uh, personalities on game day. What do you compare yourself, Dan? Mm. To, to a, a professional manager. <laughs> let's, let's, what would you say? I think, personally, I think mine's changed from last year to this year. I would be honest enough to say that. I think last year I would have compared myself to someone like a... Avram Grant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, it's going to be a Chelsea reference, but like a Conte. I would have said I was kind of like very animated on the sideline, very involved in every kicking, you know, kicking every ball with the boys. I was very animated in that respect, you know, really in there with them. But now that Conte's left Chelsea. Now Conte's left Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. Knew that was coming. Hey, but hey, we put a bet on now. He's a little bit <clears throat> coaching style. He's like, sorry. Is that, yeah, where, yeah. is that where we're going with this now? Should I just not say anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think. It's a hard one this year. I, 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 the the approach I've taken this year is I'm still obviously very positive, very animated on the sidelines. I I can I can say that age is on my side in that respect. But I think this year I've tried to be more 
far of my thinking and my thought process on the sideline. You know, I take a notepad out now and I write notes during the game, which I never really did before, to kind of remember my thoughts, gather my thoughts and put something to paper that I can look at at halftime during the game and something that I can help relay my message and my thoughts at halftime and full time. So I wouldn't say it's a change of persona. I would just say it's something that I've tried to do so that I'm not too caught up emotionally in the game, but I'm more thinking about, you know, not shouting, again, not shouting what to do, how to do it, and, you know, why that occurred and stuff like that. So in terms of a manager I can compare myself to this year, I wouldn't, I think it'd be very hard. Um, I don't know. Let's just go, I hate to say it, because he's spurred. Pochettino, let's just go over that. That'll do. Carl, Sam, who wants to jump on now? That's hard, that's a good question. What do you and Pochettino do? I feel like Pochettino, oh, I'm not going to compare myself to Pochettino in respect of a coaching of coaching qualities, an amazing coach. But I think what I notice of Pochettino when he coaches is he picks he picks and chooses his moments to get up on the, on the bench on the sideline and give information. And you see a lot of time when the camera's fixed on him, he's you know he's taking them quick notes, he's writing something down that he's seen. And I think that's something I try to adopt this year. So whilst I'm not saying I'm as good as Pochettino, not even close. I'm saying that in the respect. In the res- just a question. In the respect that I've tried to change maybe an approach on the sideline for this shit. Game day coaching. My game day coaching approach has changed. What about you, Sam? Seeing as you seem so confident with this, mate. What? Go ahead. It's a tough one. This is a tough Tony one. Tony Mowbray. Well, I mean, he's, uh, he's one to aspire to be, but I don't think I'm uh, at that level yet. Um, I don't know, really. It's a tough one. Um, I want to say, say Klopp. Oh, but yeah, but hey, I think when I when I say when I say Klopp, I don't I mean I, I don't mean like no. Klopp's Klopp's a little bit eccentric on the sideline. He's kicking every ball yeah, and heading every ball. But I, I, what I mean is in like he's always enjoying himself and he's always kind of got a smile on his face whether his team are winning or losing, and that's kind of where I come at from Klopp. <clears throat> See, I had I had for you a very similar Steve Bruce. <laughs> 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 but uh, there was there was a there was a quote recently from from Dan's pal. I'm making I'm big, gonna be honest. Big Sarri, who said, you know, the game was going on, and Klopp looked over to him, and he was smiling, and he was oh, like, yeah, was he was like, and Sarri saying like, why is this guy looking over and smiling at me? They're losing, and Klopp was like, are you having a good time? And he was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. And he was like, I'm loving this, and he was just enjoying being at the game and like coaching the game, and it was it was a good, close, fun game. And I think just from that kind of, you know, I, I try never to get angry or annoyed or too caught up in the game. I'm always just kind of enjoying watching and coaching and kind of, you know, enjoying what the players are doing and enjoying trying to make them a little bit better, you know. So that's see, that's why I say Klopp. See, I, see, I see what you're saying. I was going to put you down for more of a Sean Dyche. <laughs> 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 no, know, but it... it Raging uh, maniac on the outskirts of Berlin. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good what one. About, what about, so you feel like you've kept your same style over the last two, three years? You feel like you've been club all the way through? You think you've seen like a little um, change in your coaching? Nah, everyone's when, style when, tweaks. When, when, yeah. I, when, I, when I first started coaching, I was a little bit more like we, the, the people we talked about, like a commentator, a cheerleader, if you will. It was like, and the first probably... I just pictured <clears> you in a cheerleader's the first, the first year or two of me coaching, I was that guy that was like... Same on a Saturday night. You know, I judged kind of success on winning and I wanted to, you know, tell the boys what to do or the girls what to do and who to pass to and all this sort of stuff. And I judged that as me being a good coach. Right. You know, if I can, and I say it in the parentheses, coach my team to go and win and play better than the other team by telling them what to do, 
then I'm great. But obviously I realised as I as I kind of got more and more into it, <clears throat> spoke to different people, tried to like learn off different coaches, I realised that kind of that's not not the best way to go about it. So I'd say I've changed changed since then. And then kind of just taking a little bit more of a backseat and no, trust yeah let, let the kids go and make their mistakes and you know do do the best and try and just kind of help them out when needed you know really? yeah that's yeah. that's i've been pretty similar for the last last few years i would say yeah. well here we go odds on better so i expect because i'm not no 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 <laughs> look like i said you 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 tweak it all the time. Yeah, for sure. It tweaks all the time, but I've always been. Are you gonna laugh at this one? I'm. I'm gonna give you a good one now. This isn't like the coach I am, but it's. I think it's kind of relevant. I've always been a like a very social coach. You know, up for the banter. Like game day for me is, you know, it's fun. It should be social, like fun with the players, like bit of banter with the other coach, you know, being social with the other coach, with the referees, being nice, you know, and then in the game, you know, yeah, it's tweaked. There's some games I sit down, there's other games I stand up, you know, a little bit of banter for the players and this and that. So I think Tony Pulis. I, honestly, hey, I'm I'm saying this. No, no, no. I'm saying that in relevance to not like my Can't, coaching or anything. I just mean style, yeah. I just yeah. mean the demeanor. Like I've I've seen Tony Pulis over the years in documentaries and like all the players have like enjoy being around him. Yeah. Like the other managers, it's social, but he's passionate, but he's got a bit of brunt to him. He he's got like that, so yeah, that's that's always been kind of my, you know, like it it again, like it's a bit of the Irish style, like Martin O'Neill. You look at him too, very similar character. Like I just think it's the way I was when I was a player and socially, like you know, most people know this in here. Like social media, if you want to, you know, pipe up anything near me, I'm always up for the banter, you know, and I, that's why. It, Sometimes I cringe and I hate it, like on those game days where there's these coaches that are just, they're, they're so serious and like it's it's embarrassing. Like they, they won't even talk to you as a coach. You try to have a little bit of banter with them. Like, you know, I would definitely, if I was managing a professional team, I'd definitely be the manager who sitting in the room after. You know, glass of one. Okay. Yeah, no, a game. glass of proper 12, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that that would be me, like wow. social, you know, like yeah. Could could I could I get in an argument with you at that point? Sure, for sure. But after the game, I'll give you a hug, you know. Like so, I've always been like that with the players too. So yeah, I think your your style tweaks year to year. I think your style tweaks on age groups. I think your style tweaks on levels, yeah. you know. But a big shout out here to all the coaches and lighten up. It's a fun job. When you're working with kids as well, like worse, you know, those coaches that walk up and look like they look like they're doing like ten hours in a coal mine or something. It's like you're sitting on a sideline, you know, wearing shorts, nice sunny day, working with a bunch of kids. Enjoy it, you know. All right, so yeah, Carl Pulis. <laughs> yeah. Free oh. contrast. Did you know, hey, Did you notice there the way I didn't go for Guardiola, Sarri, Conte, <laughs> Ferguson? I was a little honest with myself. I man, think. You know? I think this is a good opportunity. I didn't compare myself to him. Just said it. for another another competition for our listeners. 
why don't you, you know, analyse your coach a little bit, do a little bit of research on uh, professional managers and let us know who you think your coach kind of is similar to. It'd be quite interesting to see the answers that we get. And we're not just talking about the look. <laughs> we're <laughs> yeah. talking about I'll the actual... Sam, I'll ask I, we, we, don't, we don't need 25 pictures of Sean Dyche and Steve Bruce being sent in. <laughs> You've missed out a manager, by the way. For Sam. Oh. Come on. Looks wise. Big Dean Smith. Ah, oh, Same personality. Yeah. Loves the club, yeah. Not bad, not bad shot. Freaking Charleston style, I was trying to get a better one for Dan, to be honest, thinking about his. Like, that's why I said Abraham Grant. He's pretty oh, miserable, you know, like Dan. Yeah. yeah. What about uh, Ian Holloway? Dan, I'm trying to think. What did you call that? Uh, you remember the Fulham, Fulham manager? Where he wore glasses. Laurie Sanchez? No, no, no. It was before. It was about two years ago. Fulham took over. It was Asian. You remember? I don't mind that. But that's about what's me. He was just a bit miserable. That's what I'm trying to say. Why you? do you get this impression I'm miserable? <laughs> right, well, why you... I spend more time you, with team dinners than I do coaching. I'm you, a happy-go-lucky guy. Man. You look up the Fulham I'm trying to figure out who, who is this. And I'll, uh, I'll pose you my question. Go on, quick. It's a long one, this one. Game management. So kind of managing the game. You know, whether, you, whether you're winning or losing at different times of the game. What's a good age or the right age... To start introducing this into your coaching great routines. age, great age. What's that? Oh, sorry. Okay. Like what? At what age do you start coaching like the game management? So, for example, you're winning the game. There's five five minutes left. It's a close game. You've got players who are sprinting to grab the ball to take a throw in for your team. <laughs> like what? What? T- what age do you start telling them? Hey, you're winning. You can actually just go and walk and take that ball. You know, your goalkeeper takes a little bit more time on goal kicks. Same time, you're losing one nil. How do you, you know, coach that you've got to get the ball quick, you've got to play quick, that sort of thing? Yeah, look, this is this is an interesting one, right? Because when I when I was seven or eight, I was doing that stuff. Because we were watching the game, yeah. you know, and and it's you feel you feel bad, like saying like, but look, I I personally think that kids should know how to manage the game at every level. You know, you know these tactics of like wasting time and stuff like that. Like that, that was just uh, that was just natural. That was just natural. Uh, like what what happened? But so I I, I don't per I don't know if you coach it, but you know, like I think you can talk about. It. I think at the youngest age of seventy seven, probably you probably don't even need to. Like it's not. But I think all the kids should know how to manage the game and they should know that by watching the game, you know, like, yeah, you're 1-0 up in an 0-6 game with a couple of minutes left, you know, when the parents are shouting, go, 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 they've clearly no game management. Why, why are you going to go, go, go? You're five minutes left, keep the ball. Keep it away from your goal. Hold it up, you know. Jeez, I felt like I sounded like Roy Keane there a little bit, you know, the way he talks, but... Uh, Irish. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I just think all the kids should have some sort of game management. I you know, maybe a little wordier in there. Like I do it in the initial stages at eleven v eleven. Sometimes, like look, when you're in a tournament, 
it is actually about results in some aspect and getting a chance to play another match. So sometimes I'll make a sub to slow it down here and there, but that's just a real game, you know. So, Mr. McCarthy, what do you think? I think a lot of it is to do with education of the game and knowing the game. I think if you watch the, the leagues on TV, you see the professional players doing it all the time. And I think, as Carl kind of lightly touched on, I think we were doing that. I was doing that from a young age back home just because I kind of saw the pros doing it. So I thought I would do it. But that was because I was invested in the game and I watched soccer as much as I possibly could. Um, kids over here, unfortunately, don't do that as much with the culture. So they don't see it. I don't think the parents really endorse it or enforce it. They're not going to know if to slow down or throw in. They're just not going to know that. So I don't think kids have the street smart, would you say, or whatever, whatever way you look at it to kind of do that. So I think you can always, I think you can instill it everywhere. I think there's times and there's times to do it. I, I wouldn't endorse an, a 7v7 game, 9v, uh, like 2009 for my kid to run it in the corner for winning 1-0 with two minutes to go. I, would just, I just wouldn't do that as a coach. Um, but definitely, you know, if you're winning a big tournament final, for example, and you know, can you take a couple of extra steps? We'll go get the ball from the front. Yeah, I think there's no harm in that. I think there's a way to do it, though. I think if a coach is screaming, Johnny, smash it, Rosehead, or something stupid like that, don't think it's, <laughs> <laughs> don't think that's very applicable. But I think it, again, go back to what we talked about earlier, it gets more tactical in the 11v11 game. And I think that's something you can really hit home as a coach in the 11v11. It's, it's, out here, it's game knowledge and game awareness. It's definitely, you know, and it, you know, like, we continue to say this but you only get that from watching the game like you know there's a huge issue out here on the sideline with parents on flopping right I have really no issue with it to be honest and one of the things that I kind of like is it actually shows that some kids are watching the game right yeah okay is it tough when kids in on goal and he maybe does a little flop and the penalty's given against you yeah but to be honest sometimes inside I'm smiling because you know it happens where we are like where we're from like kids do that you know it happens and at least they're watching the game and you know doing it to a certain extent I think getting wrapped up in that stuff is like you know like I think Dan it was at one of your games like Mm -hmm. you know a dad run behind the goal so he could get the ball quickly and give it to the goalkeeper because the goalkeeper was wasting time yeah and it was like so like that happens like why are you getting so wound like you watch you watch it on TV do you and I don't know if people do and they don't no, understand they don't. that like yeah is it annoying of course when it is part when, of the game when, yeah when you're on the other side of it it's, it's so it's annoying, annoying but, but hey like what I do it, you're like, gonna do it keepers you're you know gonna do like it. people listening to this like some of our mates that listen to this that don't live here and you know they're back in the UK and whatever like they don't get this probably but keepers out here not picking the ball up keeping at their foot and wasting time like that's a normal thing yeah but out here it's classed as he's he's doing a, a, a you know a sin he's wasting time what's he doing and it's like no he's actually watched the game and he's yeah. you know he's got a bit of like like dan says a bit of street smarts about him so i think a lot of it's that it's it's game knowledge and understanding from the kids you know what? What we'd hope is the coaches and shouting waste time. You know that's where it's like. So it's hard one. You know it comes from the kids for me. It doesn't come from the coach for me. It comes from the kid. You know the coach should be spending time coaching that, saying that, 
if there's any coaches out there coaching wasting time, <laughs> yeah. you're a clown. They're wasting their own time. Yeah. What are they doing? But there, I bet there is. I bet there is somewhere in the. Tell you what, that could be a job for one of us. Bro, time bro wasting team coach. out here. Time wasting coach. <laughs> All these different roles. All right, guys, <clears throat> that's a long segment right there, so we'll quickly finish that off. Sam, any lasting thoughts for the for part one? Uh, Daishi? No, Brucey? no, that's it. No? You want the competition though, right? Get the parents to send in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want we'll that? fall to the entries. Lookalikes, is that what we're doing? Parents up in like that. Carl? Liam Schmidt. <laughs> oh, that's hard. <laughs> Carl, last thoughts? No, no, I'm all good. No. All right, guys, good one. That was a good little hybrid edition of flight one of the podcast this week. We'll head into flight two. Hey, see you in a bit. Alright guys, heading into the final part of the podcast this week. Seeing as the first part of this week's podcast was a little bit longer for you guys, and we summarised a lot of the full league from this weekend in that part, we kind of put the part one and part two together. So this week we're just going to go straight into the questions for Flight 3 of the podcast this week. Two or three questions from the parents that have been sent in. Appreciate that again, guys. Um, let's get straight into it. Sam, you got one on there for us written down what's the question you got there for us um, <clears throat> I was asked one it was um, we have a kid on our team who has a very powerful shot why don't they take shot rocket <laughs> why don't they take all the right. free kicks uh, corners penalties so on so forth Play, oh, oh. playground specialist no, no. throw ins goal kicks corners the LeBron James role yeah <laughs> yeah is that what we call it <laughs> See, see that the Cavaliers coach got fired yesterday. I was six start of the season. LeBron left. He's lost his job. How important is player power? Oh, maybe a topic for another day. <laughs> well, hey, just before we talk about this, let's talk about the, the World Series. Anybody watch it? Just for my remote safety in the area, I'm not going to talk about Nothing it. Nothing to talk about. Uh, look, I have to tell you, I really enjoy the World Series. Oh, me, I enjoy it. I yeah. tell you why, right? I have trouble sleeping, so... What, you enjoyed it that much? So when I put the World Series on, oh, right. for some reason I can fall asleep very quickly. Mm. I wish it ran every day, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> you aren't happy listeners, are going to be in contact, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, send their email to feedback <laughs> I don't care yeah. .com. Yeah. Anyways, the question. No, to be honest, I'm not really a big... Baseball fan in the restaurant, I don't really understand it. I understand it, but I don't love it, I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, but I did enjoy Cricket's watching better, the Dodgers. Like, cricket's better, yeah. the style's better, knitted jumpers, the hydration's better, cups and teas, sandwiches. It's better. You know, so I was I was on my way baseball. to come and meet you guys this morning for the podcast, and uh, I actually drove past the uh, LA Dodgers bandwagon. There was no one on it. <laughs> <laughs> this past weekend, there was people falling out of the windows and everything. <laughs> it's empty. I think I saw a few Angels fans come out of the world waterworks this morning. I did, I did see flags change from the Dodgers sign to Red Sox yeah. like that. It's LA. Hollywood, anyway, Hollywood, baby. Anyways, the question. <laughs> what? Oh, but yeah, the LeBron, yeah, LeBron James, LeBron James role. Yeah. Carl, go ahead, mate. What do you think about that? Uh, 
when we're looking at the younger age groups, it's just like when I see a centre back coming up to take a free kick and a goalkeeper taking a free kick and people taking throw-ins that shouldn't be taking it. It's just, again, it's tactics to win the game. I think all kids in some aspects should get an opportunity. I know we talked about a scenario with me where, you know, one of the players got taken down in the box. All the stronger players were like, I want to take it, I want to take it. And I was like, he's going to take it. Cracked it, hit it wide. Great coaching moment. All kids should get the opportunity to feel what that moment's like, mm-hmm. whether you whether win or lose the game. So yeah, I think when it gets into the eleven v eleven game, then it becomes a little bit more like you guys said, comes a little more tactical, like the real game. You know, you've got more players that specialize in that. You know, like one of our kids on our 06 is Christian, has always been like really good at free kicks and corners. I thought what he does. Yeah. Actually, he first came in the club and was coached by myself. But, anyways, uh, oh, so that's why he tries the sixty-yard pings all the time, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I mean, but <laughs> at that at that age group, it's uh, I think it's fine now to have a kid who's a bit of a specialist at it. I think in the younger age groups, like twenty tens, oh nines, you know, I think every kid should have an opportunity. You know, like what we do in our club is the right midfielder should be taking the corner so in 77 that's a mix of maybe four kids in a game that'll get the chance to do that every kid plays you know right mid or right back so you're getting a chance to multiple kids to take a throw in it's just a funny one when you're playing that game and you hear Johnny smash the net <laughs> like and this kid runs 25 yards to take a free kick just you know so and then the poor kid that got fouled or someone who's never even got to take a free kick in their life just never gets the opportunity so I uh, I know we're not doing the kind of fall review but I do have a little bit of a interesting story off that kind of the reverse of what Carl was saying which was very very weird to see this weekend played a team and the we gave away a foul on the edge of the other team's box the forward from the other team ran all the way back to take the kick and then just smashed it up the field. To nobody. To where he should have been. <laughs> With their, no, and no, no. Did it, he run on to it? No, he just wasn't fast enough. <laughs> he, was the, was he was the best player on the team. And basically, we made the foul. I'm looking at the game. There's a good chance for the other team to counter-attack with a quick free kick. <laughs> he runs all the way back. My team gets back, gets himself set up in the shape. And he just smashes it long straight into our defenders. Absolutely Did you stupid. Think someone though. was injured and they were just playing it back to you. I don't know what was going on. I don't know what was going on. Um, was it the coach's son? <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to come up with theories of why captain. that would happen. No, yeah, I, I think the the coach maybe just wanted the ball in the other half of the field and he had the biggest kick. I think I don't know. But yeah, I think every kid should get the, the chance to experience the success and the failure of let's say taking a penalty kick and scoring or missing or you know trying to score from a free kick from outside the box or even trying to get an assist from maybe a, a cross on a corner or a cross from a free kick it's important that they all get a chance to do it some are going to be better than others it is what it is it's all just part of learning and, and growing up kind of thing agree yeah and I think that seems pretty pretty sensible to the, the three of us sat in the room and to a lot of coaches and a lot of people but I think there's there's a, a lot of 
probably parents who get a little bit too too into the game and just want to see that ball hit the back of the net every time. They kind of don't don't think about that 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 thing, you know. What do you think, Dan? Personally, for any kids out there who do have a massive kick, I think you should keep doing it because it might lead to an NFL kicking career and you'll earn a boatload of money doing it, buddy. So, <laughs> yeah, all for it. If you coach Chelsea, just take the big kick and do it. Nah. But um, in all seriousness, I think you guys have summed it up pretty well. You know, every kid should get an opportunity to do everything. You know, is it okay to have designated corner takers? For sure. You know, there's no problem in that and, and a free kick taker, but... You know, I don't think the same free kick taker needs to be taking a free kick from 70 yards out and 20 yards out, you know. I think the centre-back's more than, or the goalkeeper's more than capable of starting the play from back there. And if you have a kid who's good from 25 yards out, no problem. Let him, you know, if he's proved himself and he's good at it, then reward him for that. You know, I have, like Carl mentioned, I'm lucky to have Christian on my 06 team who from 30 yards out is effective and he scored four or five this season, you know, which is great. But that doesn't mean he takes every one of our free kicks. He doesn't take our corners. I've, you know, I've other kids taking those. So you've got to share the mix. You've got to spread it out. Because at the end of the day, it's about development, right? And if the kids never do it, they're never going to develop and doing it. Yeah. So I also think as well that if you have <clears throat> one kid on a team that takes everything, the rest of the kids will will learn that right away. They won't even be interested in taking anything because yeah. they believe that, you know they, they can't, they're not allowed to. Yeah. And they probably won't go and practice things in their own time. I don't know about you guys, but I used to go out on the park and you know practice free kicks and all them kind of things. And those are the things you want the kids to be practicing and going doing in their own time. And if the if they know there's no chance that they can take these free kicks or these corner kicks and penalties, whatever, you know they're never going to go out and and work on that part of the game. Yeah. So I think we're we're doing everyone a disservice, really. I agree. Good with those answers. You want to move on to the next yeah, question? I think we're good with those, yes. What's the next one, mate? What you got? Uh, oh, I've got one actually. I've actually got one actually that links into that one actually. Oh, go on. It'd be a go good, ahead. Good little... one next. So I got asked <laughs> this weekend as like, from a parent, what do they have to do to get the kids to kind of play more on their own outside of practice? And this parent talked about like kids being actual soccer kids as opposed to kids that just play soccer. Do you want to maybe explain And kind of yeah, what we mean by that is like Probably like we all were as kids, we're kind of obsessed with the sport. We're always watching it, we're always playing it, we're always talking about it, we're passionate about it. It kind of just, uh, there's something inside of us that we just, we just love the game. It's kind of non stop. You know, we could be, we could be in school in, the, in math, math class when we should be thinking about math, but really we're thinking about the game that we're going to go home and watch on the TV that night, you know. Right. Um, so, what do you think, Dan? How do we get kids to do more in their own time? I think. I think first, as, as a parent, as a parent, yeah, I think first and foremost, advice. you've got to sit your kid down and 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 make sure they love that game first. I think you know, there's so many multi-sport kids. There's so many kids who play because you know they just play just to play, I guess. And I think which is, there's no problem in that. You know, it's it's brilliant. You know, multi-sport kids brilliant, but I think coming from a background where we, all we did was play football all we wanted to do was what if we weren't playing it we were watching it if we weren't watching it we were playing the playstation if we weren't doing you know we were always doing something related to football and soccer so it's over here but I think you got, first you got, and my parents knew that that they, they endorsed that and they knew that so um, but I think if soccer's your you got to make sure that it's something that you love and want to do and if it is then you got to watch it like, you know you've got to, it can't just be it's, it's frightening 
the amount of kids who I've coached and do coach who I say, oh, did you see the game at the weekend? They're like, what game? Or, or you know, who's your favourite soccer team? Don't have one. Who's your favourite soccer player? Don't have one. You know, it's pretty crazy to think. I know it's good that they're talented and they're able to play the game because, you know, soccer is one of them sports. We're lucky that it's so easy, accessible, and it's so easy to play. And we're trying to grow the sport, which is brilliant. But if you want your kid to play more, you've got to, you've got to help them live, breathe, eat, sleep it. You know, you've got to make it make it available to them. You've got to, you know, get the sports channels, get the Premier League on in the morning. You know, you've got to get them FIFA nineteen. I'm not, and I'm not endorsing playing video games, of course, because we know better we Fortnite, know what Fortnite's done <laughs> to the kids. But you know, just being involved in it twenty four seven. You know. Watch, get on YouTube, watch a video of Zinedine and Sedan for 10 minutes or Ronaldinho, you know, someone that's in your position. If you're a defender, watch Rio Ferdinand. You know, if you're a goalkeeper, watch Schmeichel. I don't know. You know, what? pick a hero, pick a team. It's healthy to do that. You know, have a bit of crack with your friends, a bit of banter with your buddies and just really go head first in the game. Um, just playing is not good enough, unfortunately. You know, there's no, there's no top players or, you know, effective players out there who just go out there and play I mean in an ideal world it would be great if they could just go get a soccer ball and play but they've got to they've got to first thing they've got to do they've got to want to do it you know as a parent you can't force a kid to do something they don't want to do it's just not going to work out first they've got to do it they've got to want to do it and then secondly you've got to help them to do it by making it making the game as accessible to them as possible is there a local park they can go kick the ball down for 20 minutes? Is there a TV they can watch the game? Is there a laptop they can pick up and watch the game on YouTube? You know, so you've got to find that balance. That's what I think, personally. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think if I was kind of making a, a checklist of things parents could do, <clears throat> like you mentioned, get the sports channels if you don't already have them and kind of look up every week when the games are. Mm. Usually it's just, there's like get, there's like three games in a row on a Saturday morning. Maybe you can make it a ritual where, you know, you get up and you you watch it together with your kids. You know, you you shut your phones off for ninety minutes. You have breakfast. You watch the game. You just enjoy it. Um, taking them to live games, you know, get them out there watching on TV is a little bit different to watching the actual game right in front of you. Again, just start developing these habits with your kids where you know maybe every week or every other weekend you're going to the Galaxy game or the LAFC game or you're going to a college game. You kind of make it a little little habit and a little ritual that you kind of do together. Um, I would say, if possible, if you've got the time to do it, drop them off at practice a little bit early yeah. and kind of leave them with the ball and just either you kick around with them for a little bit. Maybe you stand in the goal and they shoot on you. Maybe you put them in the goal and you shoot on them. Maybe you have little juggling competitions with your kids, but if you get them to practice 30 minutes early, it's 30 more minutes that they're, uh, that they're touching the ball. So 30 more minutes of extra practice. I would also say if you can pick them up 30 minutes late from practice and again just encourage them to shoot shoot on a goal with the friends or you get there and you shoot on a goal for 30 minutes and then what you said was take them to the field you know rather than letting them if they do play Fortnite maybe you kind of make a habit of once a week or twice a week you take them to the field again you stand in the goal they shoot on you right. vice versa if you can maybe get the, the local kids from your street to come and join you, you can set up little games and scrimmages. Yeah. And then there's also watch highlight videos on YouTube, pick your favourite player, you know, there's there's loads of goal compilations and even, you know, mistakes where goalkeepers let the balls go through the legs, all that sort of stuff. That, yeah. yeah no, these are things we all do as coaches now, we don't even play the game. 
I still go on YouTube and watch the highlight, you know, highlight videos from the weekend if I miss a game. I still have, obviously, my team, my players I like. You know, so if it's good enough for us coaches, it's definitely got to be good enough for these young kids who are coming up in the game and trying to learn the game still. So, Carl, any... What? So, um, Carl is busy right now doing some extra cricket activities in the office, trying to get the lights fixed, I think, or something going on. So me and Sam will steam ahead with this one. Final question here. We will go with one that I got sent in from a parent on my team. At what age does the kid need to have full, full, full commitment to club soccer? You know, in an ideal world, the kid should be committed fully from the get-go, from year one, right? But, you know, with so many sports going on, so much going on outside of just soccer, you know, it's sometimes hard for that family, that kid to be fully committed to every single practice, every single team activity, in every single game. So at what age, if, if there is one, Sam, in your opinion, do you think that, that ha- it just has to be soccer and soccer only and you have to be fully committed to that? Uh, I would say as you get older, kind of high school level, is when you should really specialise in like just the one sport. And basically that becomes your be-all and end-all, if you will. But, I mean, we touched on it in, in recent podcasts where I think if you if you make a commitment whether it be a soccer commitment or a baseball or a basketball commitment, especially if it's to a, a competitive club or a competitive team, I think you should be honouring that commitment anyway. And I think where people run into issues is they make a commitment with a competitive volleyball team in the same season as a competitive soccer team, at the same time as also trying to play or do some you know competitive swimming. And it just becomes too much and you end up not being able to commit fully to everything. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be doing different sports. I think um, one of us mentioned it a week or two ago where probably a better idea is to maybe be committed to a one competitive programme and maybe two more, you know, recreational-type programmes, if you will, that are a little bit more laid back. You're still doing it because, you know, you enjoy it, you're developing different skill sets, but you are basically committing to the competitive programme. You've only got one, and that's your kind of... That's the your main commitment, if you will, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, we should we would never discourage kids who are talented in multi sports. You should play multi sports as many as long as you can. I I did. I don't know about you guys, but I did. And whilst football was always my true love, my number one, I did have other stuff going on. But you do have to. Unfortunately, there is a time when you have to pick one. And you know, if your goal is to play high school, college, or you know, professional, even, you have to pour your time, effort, attitude, blood, sweat and tears into one of them because without 100% commitment to 10,000 an hour rule, if, whether it's true or not, it's another debate, but, you know, you're not going to get away with it if you're not fully committed. You know, there's so many talented kids on coming up and, you know, but talent only takes you so far. You've got to have the hard work and the ethic and that comes from numerous hours on the training field and the game field. So, for me, I think... Yeah, probably, I probably agree with you, Sam. High school age, that's when you should really start thinking about, OK, I need to pick my favourite sport, the one I love, the one I'm good at, and I need to be fully committed to it. I need to be attending every practice, every team activity and every game. But I think if you're paying so much money and putting so much time into something anyway, even from any age, I think you should... Why would why yeah. would you do that? Why would you put so much time, effort and money into something if you're not going to be fully committed to it? That's just my my two cents on that. I would never... I'm just the kind of person that... If I do something, I go 100% into it, whether it's good or bad. And I think a lot of these 
kids and parents need to have the same philosophy and the fact that there's no point in doing two or three things half-hearted. You might as well do one thing and go all in. Yeah, and I think you'll I see agree. the I think you'll see the results and you'll see the, you know, you'll receive the good things from that if you do that. Um, so ideally, if you sign up for anything in life, be a hundred percent committed to it, no matter what. If it's hard, then just be communicative through that. And then when you get to that certain point or certain age, it might be different for certain kids. It might be younger. It might be older. When you do it, do it a hundred percent. Go all in. And you can never look back with regret and say, I didn't give it 100%, you know? No, that's a good point. Good point. Yeah, happy with that. Carl, any quick things to finish it off? No, you covered it all. As good always, stuff. me and Sam <laughs> carrying the team. <laughs> Sam, any leaving thoughts for the listeners this week? Uh, no, I mean, getting to the end of fall season, starting to uh, come to the end of the season and just uh, enjoy the, the last few games that you have. Yeah. Most competitive time of the year, so enjoy it. Carl, anything last fi- last thing you want to say to the listeners this week? Happy Halloween. Well played. Well played. From me, happy Halloween, guys. Oh, I'm going to summarise both of them. Put the pressure on Dan to get this out before Halloween. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Didn't think about that. <laughs> going to have to get in the uh, editing room quickly on this one. <laughs> no, happy Halloween, guys. Enjoy it. Make sure you come out to the Sand and Surf Halloween festivity tomorrow night at Manhattan Village Field. Tomorrow, I've just said tomorrow night, so I'm going to have to get the podcast out today. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Manhattan Village Field, 6 to 8 p.m. Candy, costumes, costumes yeah. soccer games. Should be fun. Sound, gar- sound guarantees a fun time. So, Sam Deitch, that is. So, uh, make sure you get yourselves out there um, and enjoy your last few games. You know, the full league is the most competitive time in the year and... It should be a fun... You should enjoy it while it's here. So, for this one, week eight done, boys. Next week, hopefully, we'll have a guest on. Not giving away anything right now. Make sure you tune in and listen to it, and we'll go next time. Appreciate it, guys. Alright guys, that was week 8 of the Upper 90 podcast, presented by Sand and Surf Soccer Club. Since we are actually going to release this episode after a few events, such as Halloween and stuff, unlike how we said in the podcast itself, just going to do a quick recap of things that have happened this week. So, hopefully, hopefully everyone had a good Halloween. A big thank you to those who came out to our first ever club-wide Halloween celebration down at Manhattan Village Field. You know, it was a great time to have the whole club community come together, get some costumes out, and some brilliant entries in there for the competition. Loads of candy and food for everybody there, and then also some fun soccer games. So appreciate that again. That was a really good event for the club and everyone involved. Looking forward to it again next year already. Hopefully, club practices are going well. Teams will be checking in with your velocity again this week. That's still happening. A couple more weeks left of that, so keep make sure you check your schedules for that. Um, and coming up for a few of our older teams their last four league games this weekend so good luck with those hopefully you end the season on a higher note and hopefully it's been a good two three months for you guys for our younger teams still a few games left so keep pushing keep working hard and all the best with those hopefully in the next podcast there'll be a special guest coming in to talk with us so make sure you keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one and we look forward to it see you guys on week nine all the best
Welcome to Upper 90, a podcast presented by Sand and Surf Soccer Club. Scotland's Wayne Rooney wins the ball back. Homer from the half court. Goal! DC United Red Sox make the MLS World Series playoffs. Ooh, right cleat banger. Thank you.